continue our sermon series in 1 Peter, Forged, and uh, it's been an amazing series so far, uh, encouraging to hear so many of you guys that are digging into 1 Peter and being transformed by it. Uh, we have been using this first, uh, first chapter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, this passage over and over again every single week. Just to give you guys some background, for those of you guys maybe jumping in the middle of the series, what is this letter really all about? What Peter's doing is he's writing to a group of, of believers that are in the midst of trial, they're in the midst of persecution. And he's trying to help them understand what God is doing in the midst of difficult times. And he tells them this in verse 6, And all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith which is greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. He says that these trials have come to show the proven genuineness of your faith. Hence the sermon series Forged, that really our trials, the persecutions that we experience in life, the difficult things in our faith, um, God uses them to forge in us the things that he wants um, in our lives and in our faith. Um, precious metals become precious metals because they experience a, a tremendous amount of heat or the impurities are removed from them. Um, and so really, that's what's going on here is Peter's trying to help them understand how to live life in the midst of difficult situation. And so he reminds them that they're called to be priests. They're called to be exiles, foreigners, to live differently. And they have a mission here on earth while they're experiencing difficult times. That they're called to be a people that are on mission, reaching people. You hear the language over and over again from Peter. That you would win some. That you would win others. That you would win them over by your behavior, by your actions, how you live. That you live differently than the rest of the world. Which is the reason why he says to submit to rulers. To submit to the authorities. The wives submit to husbands. The husbands honor wives. Why? Because God is a God of order, not chaos. And then if you're a humble person, a humble person submits to authority and honors, and God has established those authorities. And so he calls on us as believers to be a people that live differently than the rest of the world. And he invites us into that. Now, I know that for me, and when I'm in a new situation, oftentimes when I walk into a situation, there's a little bit of me that's a little bit maybe nervous, uh, a little bit anxious trying to figure out my bearings as to what I'm supposed to do. I remember when I was traveling up North Idaho uh, a little bit more often um, when we first launched our church, our mother church was supporting us at the time. I'd go up there for meetings and I would get a rental car. And every time I got in a rental car, I had to like figure out how to run the thing. It's like, it's just a car, right? But I had to figure out what's the lights, What's the, the windshield wipers? And I would always like get it messed up. Anybody else in a new car trying to figure it out, right? I remember I was driving down late at night. One night I get pulled over by a cop and he's like, hey, sir, your lights aren't on. I'm like, what do you mean my lights aren't on? Like I can see in front of me. He's like, those are your headlights. You got to turn on your, your taillights. You don't have any taillights on. I'm like, oh, I don't even know how to drive a car. I don't know how to turn my, my actual lights on, right? And he was like, all right, just want to make sure you're okay. Have a good day. And he also was making sure I wasn't drunk too, I'm sure. But, but uh, he let me on my way. And then um, driving a new car, rental car. First day of school. Got kids back to school, right? New school maybe, new, new grade level. Nervous jitters, trying to figure out how to navigate school, what that looks like. When we're in new situations, it's natural to experience some of that. But what if we as a people, as Christians, learned that we didn't need to be nervous? 
We didn't need to be anxious. As we moved into a new season, as we moved into a new situation, new circumstance. I don't know if you guys have noticed, we've been kind of in a new season over the last year and a half. Trying to figure out how to live life, how to do life in the midst of a pandemic. It's like we're in a fog. We're trying to figure out our bearings. What if we as believers were able to say, we're good. We're good. How do we do that? Peter tells us how we do that. He continues on right after talking about husbands and wives. He moves into verse 8. He says this, finally. Everybody say finally. Finally, Finally, all of you, be like-minded. Be sympathetic. Love one another. Be compassionate and humble. There it is again. Humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Everybody say blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. That's a heck of a list, isn't it? Let's take a look at that list. Be like-minded. All of you, he says. Means to have the same mind. To be unified to have one mind. We as the believers are called to be one. That was Jesus' last prayer before he went to the cross. The Christians would be one. And he said in John chapter 17, he said the same mind, one. And he said, I pray God that they would be one just as you and I, Father, are one so that the world will know that you have sent me. As Christians, we're called to be one. He says, be sympathetic, What does that mean? To have an understanding about people. To have an understanding between people. That we as Christians are called to understand one another. To be sympathetic towards one another. Whether you believe in masks or don't believe in masks. Whether you believe in vaccine or don't believe in vaccine. To be sympathetic towards one another. To listen to one another. To love one another, he says. To be compassionate. To be humble. To be a blessing. To do good. To seek peace. And then he says to pursue peace. You see a broken situation? You're involved in it? Fight for peace. Seek peace. Why? Verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Peter's actually quoting a psalm, Psalm chapter 34. He's quoting Psalm 34, verse 16. And I want to read to you 17 and 18. Right after that, he says this, The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Everybody say brokenhearted. There are a lot of brokenhearted people right now. And if you're, here there, if you're here this morning and you're in that place and you're crying out, you're trying to do right, you are doing right, and you're facing difficulty in the midst of doing right, and doing right means fighting for these things that Peter just talked about. The Lord hears you, he sees you. 
The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Peter's reminding them that God hears the righteous. He hears those who do, do what is right and he listens to them. And you might be saying, oh, I, don't, I don't feel like God's listening to me. My circumstance isn't getting better. God hears you. Why is it that we know that God hears the righteous and he wants us to do right, but why do we, why do we not do right? We know what the word says, but why is it that it's not enough for us to do the right thing? This is what I know in my own life. In life, I experience pain. And when I experience pain, what I, my flesh has a tendency to do is I have a tendency to, to actually experience pain and feed the flesh. And when I feed the flesh, I think that it's actually going to like make me whole. It's going to make me feel better. And it, maybe it does for a little while, but eventually shame and guilt, the things that are the spirit, war against my flesh, and I, and I become become discouraged and I, and I live in this place of, of really looking at my life and going why do I keep going back to the flesh which is the opposite of the spirit opposite of the list that Peter gave us as to who we're supposed to be as believers and oftentimes when I, when I look at my life I realize that it's the pain in my life that it actually drives me oftentimes the pain in my life drives me away from solace in Jesus that the pain in my life actually, I actually want to run away from Jesus because I think that's what's actually going to make me whole. But it doesn't. When you're in pain, you often go to your idol, whatever that is. That thing that you think is going to make you whole, you run to that. We run to that. It's, it's kind of like the idea of... Um, Toothpaste. Hopefully all of you guys brushed your teeth this morning, right? <laughs> when you brushed your teeth this morning, you applied pressure to the toothpaste. And guess what came out? Toothpaste. Right? When pressure's applied, whatever is stored up inside comes out. You ever notice like, when you're fighting in your marriage and pressure gets applied, pain, hurtful words, hurtful situations, circumstance, what comes out often is what's stored up inside, in the heart. Peter says that. Who would ever love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and keep their lips from deceitful speech. When we experience pain, we want to lash out in pain. When we experience pain... We run towards that which we think is going to make us whole. And what Peter's saying is don't do that. Don't do that. Don't run towards the pain. Don't run towards your idol. Instead, would you run after Jesus? And when you run after Jesus in the midst of pain, Jesus has an ability to actually begin to do a work inside of us. And when he begins to do a work inside of us in the midst of intense heat and intense pressure you guys know deep down in the earth right what comes from from intense heat and pressure what's formed diamonds that's exactly right diamonds are forged 
What Peter's trying to help them understand is, is these are the things that you're called to be, but you've got to run towards Jesus in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the persecution. And if you think that you're going to be satisfied by doing evil, repaying evil, doing the things that you want to do in the flesh, it's, it's, it's not going to it's not going to work. It's not going to bring glory to God. God's watching and he's calling on you to be righteous in the midst of difficulty. Jesus puts it this way. Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Peter goes on to say, verse 13, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you uh, should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their Slander. Peter's letting them know that, that it's Jesus who hears you. It's Jesus who hears you in the midst of you walking out um, righteousness. But in addition, he says, you notice he says, revere Christ. Revere Christ. Jesus is king in the midst of your circumstance. Jesus is king in the midst of your difficulty. You're called to be a people that revere Christ and are ready to give an answer to those who do not understand. To live with reverence, Peter reminds them. Live with reverence and awe towards God as he's watching over our lives that nothing will go unnoticed by him. He sees it all. He sees it all. You know what's pretty cool about that video that we watched? I don't know about you, but there were these moments through the video where I was like, wow, 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 wow. I don't know if you experienced that. I experienced that. As I was watching that, it was because of the transformation that was taking place, right? Right? watching the transformation take place. Uh, and, and also for me, I, I, I'm, I'm aware of the fact that like we put $8,500 into that school for that transformation to take place. Over 500 man hours. Almost two tons of, of landscaping, cutting down branches were hauled off to the dump, right? And all that's like, wow. And God sees it all. Those drone shots to see the transformation sees it all, Right? which is exciting. Wow. But you know what God gets even more excited about than all that? The transformation in your guys' hearts that was taking place in the midst of serving. The transformation that's taking place in the hearts of this church as you decide that you're going to revere Christ, that you're going to choose to worship him with, with awe and reverence, not just on Sunday morning, but all week long. God sees it all. Jesus sees it all. And he's inviting us as believers that in the midst of difficulty to choose instead of running to the idols of our heart, to the flesh, to the thing that the enemy has convinced us that's going to make us whole, Peter's saying, run towards Jesus, revere him, honor him. He sees it all. He sees when you've been treated poorly by your spouse, by your boss, 
by your neighbors and you choose instead of responding in cursing, you respond in blessing. He sees it all. He sees all of it. And yet Peter understands the reality. The reality is for these believers, he understands that he's gonna call these people to live this way and yet they are still going to die for their faith. What does he say in response to that? Verse 17. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body that made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits and to those who are disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission. You see, God invites us to be a people that have faith and trust that he will vindicate. In the midst of the difficulty that you find yourself in, and that you continue to choose to do good, God will vindicate. And he will vindicate it because Jesus resurrected from the dead. That's when Jesus will vindicate all the pain, all the injustice, all the things that we experience. It's going to take place in the resurrection, in the midst of persecution. It's the resurrection where Jesus vindicates it all. I love how Peter uses this illustration of saying, the story of Noah. You remember Noah? Evil in the world. Eight were saved by water. And then he says it's now baptism that now Jesus is using to bring and rescue people back. I want to tell you guys right now in our church, there is a battle going on in our community, in our church, you guys. And the enemy is coming hard at marriages right now. It's, it's, the, it's the after effect of, of the trauma and the pain and all the things that we've experienced over the last year and a half. It just kind of continues to ripple into the future. And here's what I'm encouraged by in the midst of tremendous pain is that God is doing a work in the midst of pain. God is doing a work in the midst of death. God is doing a work in the midst of extreme difficulty. You see, even in the midst of extreme pain and hurt and sin that's taking place, some are choosing to give themselves over to the flesh. Some are choosing to give themselves over to the idols that the enemy has convinced that you should run after. But there are also a group of people that are repenting there are also a group of people that are deciding to follow Jesus for the first time and are choosing to be baptized. There are people that are choosing to trust the resurrection. As Peter is, is reminding these believers, it's the resurrection 
that allows us to continue to move forward. It's the resurrection that we long and hope for where God will make all things new, all things right. It's the resurrection that we long for and hope for. You see, disciples of Jesus understand their vindication does not come apart from Jesus and the resurrection. That one of these days, he's going to make it all new, all right, all good. He'll wipe away every single tear and he will bring heaven and earth officially together. Until then, we have work to do to be a part of that. Until then, we bring heaven and earth by partnering with God, by being a blessing, by loving, by forgiving, by not repaying evil, by being sympathetic, by going into our community and saying, how can we bless you individually and together as a church? Why? Because resurrection is coming. Jesus is coming. And we're not living, we're not living our life in response to the circumstances. We're living our life with eternity in mind. But we're not just sitting around going, can't wait for Jesus to come back. No. We are an army of people on mission, intentionally, every day, bringing heaven and earth together and telling people over and over again, let me tell you why I live this way. You can respond with a quiet strength of blessing in the midst of trials because you're living for Jesus. You're living for his ways. Look at verse 21. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Jesus is still on his throne. Jesus is still ruling in the midst of the difficulty we see. And it's a resurrection, resurrection that's coming. His kingdom that is here. And from resurrection comes vindication, and from vindication comes the vision of eternal life. And we as disciples, we get to carry that vision. We get to carry that vision of eternity in our lives and the lives of others. And here's the thing. Jesus from the very beginning, God from the very beginning, the Holy Spirit from the very beginning created the heavens and the earth, and he went to Adam and Eve, and he said, I want to partner with you to bring about my purposes. And guess what? That hasn't changed. Yes, sin has come into the picture. Pain has come into the picture. But Jesus is always working through his people to bring about the vision of reality, of eternity and kingdom and heaven and earth together. And he's inviting you into that. He's inviting us into that. And if we don't participate, if we don't partner, God says, I'll get rocks to do it for me. So if we don't do it, God will find a way. But he's inviting you into being a people that suffer well for his name and for his glory. A couple of things to think about as you wrap up this morning. In the midst of experiencing pain as a believer, we must battle desires of the flesh to run towards idols of our heart and instead run towards Jesus. How are you doing with that? As we get ready to have a time of communion, I want you to reflect on that. Are you allowing the pain in your life for you to run towards that which you think will give you peace or are you running towards Jesus? And are you allowing him to forge something in you or is the pain too difficult 
Has the enemy convinced you that this thing, whatever this thing is, is going to make you whole? And if you have, Jesus is inviting you to confess of that and to repent of that. Jesus is inviting you to start trusting his story for your life, not the enemy's story for your life. The second thing I want you to think about is Jesus will hear our cries and will vindicate all who walk faithfully. And this gives us peace for the present and the future. When you sit at home, what do you fill your head and your heart with? Is it the vision of new heavens and earth? Is it what God's called you to? Is it the mission? Is it peace or is it what about this? What about this? What about that? What about that? What about this? What about this and that? What, cons- what do you fill your head and your heart with? And there are some of you that are, that are grinding away at this. And you feel like there's no fruit. Resurrection's coming. Fruit is coming. It is those who walk faithfully that are going to experience real life, eternal life. Jesus said, wide is the gate. Wide is the path that leads to destruction and there are many that are on it. Narrow is the road that leads to life and there are very few that find it. Why? Because it's easy. It's easy to walk the wide path. The narrow path, it's a grind. But with Jesus, he begins the process walking beside us, encouraging us. And all of a sudden, each day, each day gets a little bit easier because Jesus begins to change us from the inside out. And we begin to realize, I just have to worry about about him and his kingdom. And he takes care of the rest. Are you suffering well? And what is Jesus inviting you into this morning? As we get ready for communion, I just want you to bow your heads and have a conversation with Jesus about what he's inviting you into this morning as you wrestle with the vision of eternity and new heavens and new earth in your heart and your life this morning.